Hi, my name is Robert McMahon. I'm the Connection Director here at Covenant Church, and I'm thrilled that you're listening. If you're checking us out for the first time, welcome. We're so glad that you're here, and I'd like to take this chance to invite you to let us know that you're tuning in today. We'd love nothing more than to help you start building meaningful relationships and to join you on the journey of faith. Just go to bgcovenant.org connect and let us know how we can be in touch. With that said, let's dive in and listen together to this week's message. Um, Sermon on the Mount. We're going into the Sermon on the Mount. We are in week six, week six of our Sermon on the Mount series. And um, this is where we pause it. This is our last week. And then it's going to be Christmas at Covenant uh, all the way through the new year. And uh, we'll pick up next year with some hospitality. Holy hospitality, I think, is where we're going to go to start the year. And eventually we're going to come back. So we're going to pause after this week. And you're just going to put a a mark in your Bible and go, we'll be back. And we're going to keep talking about this because we have chapters still to go. Last week, we looked at salt. This week, we look at light. You may have heard these things combined. They're usually combined, salt and light. Um, So we wanted to give each one its due. So last week was all about salt. If you missed that, you're going to want to go back and read about that. But um, what's happening today is Jesus is going to root us in something pretty critical. And it's about our size, our influence, and our impact. Okay? To start us, I have to tell you, um, you may not have thought this coming in, but I uh, firmly believe that everyone is afraid of the dark. Everyone's afraid of the dark. Some of you are like, I'm not afraid of the dark. That's not my thing. I get it. Some people are, children, whatever. Not me. Um, You don't know what dark is because we live in a post-industrial world. We live in a world where there isn't really darkness, that you never are at the mercy of darkness, that if you wake up in the middle of the night, there's still the possibility of light. So the kind of all-encompassing darkness that Scripture talks about, we don't know what that is. That's not even a thing we're aware of. And the reason I say we're all afraid of the dark, we're all visual creatures. We're all visual. We make sense of the world through our most capable sense. Like any other creature on earth, we make sense of the world through our most capable sense. So some animals are like smell first or they're hearing first. We're sight first. We're a sight first people. Sight is our primary sense. Therefore, utter darkness would make us primarily senseless. Okay? In it, Once we find ourselves in darkness, we end up behaving senselessly. There's uh, actually a guy, Professor Russell Foster, he's a circadian neuroscientist in Oxford, okay? If you thought you knew what all the jobs were, his whole job is a circadian neuroscientist. He looks at the brain and darkness, okay? Here's what he says. We need light because the internal body clock needs to be set to the external world. Those things have to be in harmony. If you don't get that, daily light exposure, the human body clock, which is slightly longer than 24 hours, will drift through time. So imagine, uh, you've seen maybe one of these prison shows where they put somebody in solitary confinement, but some, some people put them in solitary confinement with no light, and it doesn't take long for the body to just be profoundly disoriented, not to know where we are, who we are. We end up getting lost in our own minds. The, the human body will drift with no base and no center. Eventually, it becomes misaligned. There's wild disorientation. Your physical health will suffer in darkness. I mean, you, we live in the, the glory of the frozen swamp that we love, and yet the darkness kind of gets to us in the, in the winter. Some of you are like, I don't like how dark it gets, how early it gets dark. What happens in the dark is your blood pressure goes up. Sleep deprivation, ironically, in the darkness, sleep deprivation starts pretty quickly because you can't figure out when it's light. You don't know when you're supposed to be awake, and then you can't go to sleep. Your mental health suffers, serotonin drops, chaos ensues. In darkness, chaos ensues, mentally, physically, emotionally, and I would say spiritually. 
Darkness is a problem. Light deprivation is internationally recognized as a form of torture. So if you're trying to figure out um, how to torture someone, you want to you know, you really give it to your kids this year for being bad, shades down, in your room, six weeks. Just see what happens. Light deprivation is an internationally recognized form of torture. You're afraid of the dark. Darkness is torture. You just don't know you're afraid of the dark because you never experienced true darkness. But in darkness, we become untethered from reality. It's profoundly terrifying. And unless light is present, humanity begins to, like the professor said, drift through time. Without light, people suffer, people break down. And with that as a backdrop, we go to Matthew chapter 5, verse 14. Jesus says, you are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand. And it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. You're the light. Jesus says, you are the light of the world. You're a city on a hill. You're a lamp. These are the two examples he gives, city on a hill and lamp. Tim Keller says these are helpful examples because they tell us who we are in the story and, and where light's coming from and who we are in that story. It's of critical importance. He says, you're not like the sun. You're not like the stars. You're not source lights. And we have to have two real big differences. Some of us take on a lot of pressure as Christians, as if we're the source of hope and joy and love and grace and mercy. And, and this is Jesus saying, you're not source lights. You're reflective light. The sun and the stars, they are the source of the light in the universe. But the lamp only holds light. The lamp holds light. It isn't the source of light. So what creates light? John's gospel, John chapter one. In the beginning was the word, Jesus. And Jesus, the word, was with God and the word was God. Jesus was with God in the beginning and through him all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. And in him was life and that life was the light of all mankind, the light that shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. Jesus is present at the beginning of all creation and the Bible says all things are made through him, including light. Genesis says, let there be light. There was light and it is good. In him, there was life. And the Bible says, what kind of life? Light that the darkness cannot overcome. This lines up with the messianic prophecy. You'll hear it around Christmas time all the time. You'll hear it over and over. Isaiah chapter nine, the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in the land of deep darkness, on them a light is shone. It's a messianic prophecy that Jesus is coming. Jesus is on his way. The, the, the Savior is on his way. Who is the Savior that they're waiting for? They're waiting for the Savior who was light in the darkness. To a people lost in darkness, untethered and drifting and suffering, Jesus arrives, I would say, to return them to their senses. Jesus arrives to return us to our senses, to bring light back into darkness. John 8, when Jesus spoke again to the people, he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. This light seems pretty important. Jesus is the source light. He says, I'm the light of the world. He also says, you're the light of the world, which is why that distinction matters. He's the source light of the world. We're the reflected light of the world that takes the light of Jesus and then gives it away to others. But our light is derivative. We're reflective. You're not the sun. You're not the source. You're not responsible for people responsible to them. There's a big difference. We struggle with this sometimes in relationships. We struggle with this with our kids. We're struggling. You're not responsible. There's a point where you're no longer responsible for someone else. You're responsible to them. 
I can't get them saved, but I can live out of my salvation so they might see it. So Jesus says, you're a city on a hill and you're a lamp. These are the two examples. So we'll start with a lamp. I have a picture of a, a lamp in the time of Jesus. This is there, but this is it. I wanted you to see it in like the size of a lamp. This is a lamp. This is the most common lamp from the time of Jesus. It's a little wick that floats in oil. So oil is put into the center and then you light the wick and the oil um, has soaked the wick and the wick burns slowly out while the oil continues making its way up. Pretty simple. This is what a lamp is. We think of a lamp, we think of a, you know, you, you turn your lamp on. Alexa, turn on the lamp. A lamp. This is a lamp. It's simple. It's small, but it is illuminating. We don't want to undersell it. It's simple, it's small, but it is illuminating. You don't get much light out of it though, do you? There's enough. And yes, there are different size lamps. Somebody will always say, well, you're just, we're not all the same. Okay, Billy Graham was a big lamp. Okay, he was, that's Billy Graham lamp. That's fine. Billy Graham's a spotlight. I don't know. Who, who is the modern Billy Graham? I don't know. Don't say someone's name because then we'll have to talk about it. And we'll, okay. Maybe you're a giant lamp. Maybe you're really exceptional. But most likely, you're a lamp. You're a normal lamp. There's nothing wrong with it. We go, oh, well, you know, so he says I'm not very significant. I'm not very important. I'm just a little old poor lamp. Oh. If you're a normal lamp, you're small. And if we think about this lamp and this light, how, how much light does this produce? Not much. Who can actually have access to the light? So if I light this, if we were able to turn all the lights off, I would light this. And how far would the light go that we could actually see something? But it's a really tight vicinity, isn't it? I mean, I could kind of put it down lower and it would maybe light a little more. I could put it up a little higher. Maybe that would help get a little more light out. But really, there's not much I can do with it. The light that I can produce in a, as a small lamp is in a tight proximity. It's a tight vicinity. So I would say this, if your lamp is small, you need people to be close enough to you if you're going to be the light. We talk about community a lot around here. We talk about being in relationship a lot around here. This is why. That we aren't spotlights. We're lamplights. And lamplights, for the light of the world to be shared, the light has to be in close proximity to others. No one is going to be 100 feet away, much less on the other side of the world through the internet, and be able to, to see the world through the light I'm giving off through my little lamplight. You got to stay close. You have to be connected. You have to be intimate. You have to be tight. This runs counter to our modern culture. Modern culture would say the most effective and efficient thing you could do is use your social media that could potentially influence millions. Oh, you can also keep people at arm's length that way. So you can say things and they can be just out of reach. A little bit of faux vulnerability or, you know, a little, a little fake uh, transparency, a little create some content, see what the Lord wants to do with it. So I would tell you that posting about your bad day on Instagram is not true vulnerability or intimacy. Leaving encouraging comments on someone's Facebook, while nice, isn't living in community. There's no lamplight being transferred there. It's, it's not wrong. Keep your Instagram, keep your Facebook, do your thing. But, but if we think that's community, if we think that's intimacy, if we think that's proximity, it's not. And so we have to be aware and careful to live in such intimacy with some that our lamplight might be shared. If you really want to live honestly in true community with others, you have to actually fight for it because everything in your world is designed to remove that from you, to keep everything just at a distance, to create isolation. So you're gonna have to intentionally chase it. 
And most of us simply don't do it. It doesn't mean we can't do it. It just means we don't do it because we're not aware that we need to do it. We drift through life sometimes, don't we? We get into seasons, and what do we say about that season? If we, oh, it's just drifting from the Lord. I was just kind of be drifting through this season. I've kind of just been, that's untethered language. That's darkness language, isn't it? The body separated from light will simply become drifting. You've got to be close enough so others can see it because the lamplight is small. So if I can encourage you, I would say your influence is smaller than you think it is. where you say thank you. No, thank you. Your influence is smaller than you think it is. Your lamplight is smaller than you think it is. But the impact of that light when genuinely shared is so much greater than you can imagine. We have it flipped where we think if we can have the biggest, broadest thing that goes out, that will be the most impact. And the opposite is actually true. The tightest way we love someone, the most intimate way we share Christ, the most loving way that we get into the mess with somebody, we sit in the ashes with somebody, we work through reconciliation with somebody, that intimate lamplight work is where the greatest impact is made. Your influence is small for a reason. Because Jesus needs you to have people close enough that you might really impact them. For the drifting and the senseless and the baseless people, for those stumbling through darkness, your lamp light makes all the difference. The last point on that is it has to be ongoing. The lamp light can't just show up and go away. If I was able to, to make this room completely pitch black, turn out all the lights, little windows, get rid of those, everything, totally pitch black, it'd be really hard to navigate this room, wouldn't it? If I put you on one side of the room, I left everybody else in here, but I took you, I popped you up and we put you over on that corner and it's pitch black. And I said, I just need you to get to that door over there in this corner. Good luck. If I started you in the back, good luck. Where are the stairs? Who knows? Where are the people? Who knows? Did I hit a chair or a human? Who knows? You won't know. You're totally disoriented because in pitch blackness, you can't make your way through this room without probably some injury and suffering along the way. But a lamplight, if I just gave you this, if I just came up next to you and I said, let's do it together, and I stayed real close and I held the lamplight, we could do it. We'd actually do it really easily, wouldn't we? Now, I couldn't do it from across the room. I couldn't stand over there and go, I'm over here. You'd still had all the same stuff. You'd still be just as injured when you got there. I got to stay close. I got to stay close. I got to stay close. And we have to walk the journey together. It's discipleship. We have to walk the journey together. I can't shout at you and say, this is the way to do it. Hard left, not that left, other left. I have to walk with you. In the middle of Jesus' kingdom of God's sermon, he's, he's doing a juxtaposition. The world is one thing. The world would tell you to do it one way, religious rules, just do these things, don't have to be connected to community, just do the things. And Jesus is saying it's the opposite of that. This is a new way. It's not transactional religion. This is relationship where you have to walk it out with others. Religion pops in with light and disappears just as fast. True disciples practicing kingdom living walk out the journey with each other over time. So if you're going to be the light of the world, you have to be walking it out with others because the world is dark. Step by step, navigating the valleys, obstacles together. So that's a lamp. What about a city on a hill? So the lamp is small. You know where we're going. City on a hill is big, right? Nope, that's not where we're going. Okay. I would like to suggest to you that the city on a hill is not about the size of the light. 
We think, okay, I get it. Lamplight, small, city, big. They're two different things. He's going to make opposite points. They'll come together. I don't think it has anything to do with the size. I don't think the city has anything to do with the size. I think it's about the juxtaposition. Remember, pre-industrial life, how much light is there? None. In pre-industrial life, then, if you're looking out over the darkness of uh, the night, a small light on the distance is visible. A city on a hill could be seen from great distances, not because it was exceptionally bright. It stood out because the world was exceptionally dark. The city on a hill is visible not because it's exceptionally bright, but because the world was exceptionally dark. Above the horizon, above the inky black, there's a pinprick of light. I think I see it there. That's how that feels. Uh, friends of ours, we do a, a semi-annual, semi-regular, occasional, sometimes annual uh, Kentucky backpacking trip. And this is where we sleep over this uh, Daniel Boone National Forest. And there's this valley and it just, the river winds through it and the fog comes in the morning. And this is a picture I took a few years ago. And this is where we sleep. And it's beautiful during the day. And if the moon is out and the stars are bright and there's, then at night, it's great too. But when the moon isn't out, you can't see anything. And we'll have friends, so, so the parking area for how you get here is somewhere in that fog way in the distance, and we'll have friends that come at nighttime. And you can actually find their little tiny, I don't know, 0.05 lumen, I don't know how much a lumen is, so you could send, my, send an email. Um, we can find their, their little uh, lamplight, their little headlight cutting through the forest. We can follow them all the way from the parking lot. Through dense, old growth, 40-foot tall forests, we just watch them. Because in, in the contrast of the other darkness, we, all we see is the light coming. The other thing that's true is if you look at the farthest hill you can find on the deepest horizon, there's cell phone towers. Stand out like you wouldn't believe. A cell phone tower isn't a big thing. It's a skinny pole with a single light bulb on the top. And that red light bulb, and every year we go, oh, there's six there now. There was four last year. You can count them. 100 miles away, we can see a single light bulb pulsing at us. A city on a hill isn't about size, it's about juxtaposition. In a world of exceptional darkness, your lamplight shines brightly. And so the city on a hill is trice looking at the world going, the world is really dark, but you were made to be seen. You can't stay hidden. The message version of Matthew 5 says it this way. It says, here's another way to put it. You're here to be the light, bringing out the God colors in the world. God is not a secret to be kept. We're going public with this, as public as a city on a hill. See, it's public. If I make you light bearers, you don't think I'm going to hide you under a bucket, do you? I'm putting you on a light stand. Now that I put you there on the hilltop, on the light stand, shine. The, the, uh, the picture is not about the bigness of the city. The picture is about the public nature of the city. It's there to be seen. If you're the light, Jesus says, I'm sending you out into the world. Don't think it's a private thing. It's not a private thing. Your faith is not a private thing. We are told in your world, you can believe what you want to believe. Just don't push it on me. Just don't live it out in my way. Don't, don't get it in my face. I don't want to see it. Just keep it quiet. Jesus says, my light is in you for public display. That a hidden light doesn't help anyone. That me taking my little lamplight trying to get you across the room and me putting a little cover on it so no one can see it but me, that doesn't help you at all. The point of the light is it might help you see. The point of the light on the hill is that you would have a direction, you'd have a waypoint that you can make your way through a dark world now because at least you know where you're headed. But put it under a basket. 
Last week we said saltless salt was to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. Jesus puts them together, same with the light. What's the point of the light if the light's not going to shine for others? What, why did I make light if light isn't for you to see? You live in a world of exceptional darkness, in a drifting world, a world with no base or no center, a world untethered from reality, a world of profound disorientation. This is the world you live in. Jesus says, you are the light for them. You're still small, low-influence, upstream light against the backdrop of utter darkness will shine like a city on a hill. You'll stand out. And yes, a few verses ago, as Jesus was talking, he said, be prepared for persecution. Be ready to be persecuted. If you're really a Christian, if you're really living out the Jesus way, you're gonna, you should be prepared for some pushback here. The mainstream world is not going to like what you have to do. And you go, well, that's, I don't know. These days, nobody seems to care. Apathy is more the result you get. I would argue that this goes with that, that if you're a city on a hill, you're not hiding your light. That's when the persecution comes. The persecution doesn't come when you practice your faith in silence under a bucket. The persecution comes when you're out living your life, when you're openly following the Jesus way in a world that would say that's not the way at all. And so persecution should be expected not because um, you're like special in the fact that you believe something. Persecution comes because you're living out the obedient life of following Jesus in a public way, which doesn't mean I got to attach a Christian flag to the back of my car and walk around honking at people and shooting Bibles out of a cannon. That's not that, right? Because then we go, well, he says, I got to be public about it. And boom, New Testament, boom, and your neighbors are getting hit with it. You're knocking down their flags. You're kicking over their political things. You're getting rid of all their stuff. Ah, Public city on a hill. Small. You're a light. You're a lamp light. Your influence comes to those that can get close. Your job, as I broke the lamp light, your job is to get close to others. The light's resilient, 0.6, no. Your job is to not only wait for the others to come around you to get into your light, your job is to take your light to others. And later we're going to hear that Jesus says that you're supposed to go town to town and door to door and find the people of peace and with them share the gospel. When you're taking your light from door to door and town to town, from friends to friends to neighbor to neighbor, when you're, when you're living out your Christian life and you're taking the light with you, you'll figure out who's open to receiving some light. And some will shut the door and you go, no light for you, fine, on you go. And some will open the door a little bit and go, I don't know. And that's them saying, I'm desperate for that. Please. And so then your light shines a little more. But you can only shine, you can only be seen if you live it publicly. Seeing a great light on the horizon changes everything. The city on a hill becomes that waypoint. The light eliminates disorientation. It, dis- it eliminates the, the drifting that comes with darkness. There is a way, there is a path, there is a hope, there is a joy. You hold that light. In a senseless world, say it this way, in a senseless world, your life represents a return to your senses. You can help other people return to their senses. I would assume most parents in the room have had the experience of switching on the lights for a child at night who is, for some reason that night, had a nightmare, afraid of the dark, whatever it is. Switching on the lights changes everything. The sweater hanging against the closet, blowing in the fan's breeze that looks like the monster of their worst nightmares, you turn on the lights and it's a sweater hanging on the closet, blowing in the fan's breeze. The light illuminates reality. 
In a world where truth no longer exists, where relativism says you have your truth and I have mine, the light illuminates reality. It says there is a truth and I'm gonna help you see it. So when we bring light to a world that's lost in darkness, we're bringing reality back. All is laid bare, the truth can be seen, and our lives begin to bring out the God light in the world. Your life illuminates the way. More than that, your life illuminates the beauty of God along the way. Because you're not the source light, you're the reflective light, you're the, you're the, the arrow pointing to the greater light. And by your lamplight, others can see his grace. By your lamplight, others can experience his mercy. By your lamplight, others might find their way to salvation. But you gotta stay connected to Jesus as your source and you have to stay connected to people because otherwise, how will they ever become influenced by your light? Jesus' command is simple. Since I've made you light bearers, use your light to lead others out of darkness. That's what he just said. I've made you light bearers. I've given you each, you're each the lamp. Use your days and the light you've been given to lead others out of darkness. And that's gonna look different for everybody in the room. Some of you are gonna be volunteering at local nonprofits to help lead people out of darkness. Some of you are gonna be active in politics to help lead people out of darkness. Some of you are gonna stand on a stage and talk to people to lead people out of darkness. Some of you are gonna bake to lead people out of darkness or send a meal to people in trouble or visit your neighbor when they didn't expect it. Some of you are going to call on your relatives over the Thanksgiving break then lead them out of darkness with your little lamp light. You have your context. God is giving you your context and your influence. I can't reach who you can reach and vice versa. You have been given influence over a limited number of people. And the question is, are you using it? Are you influencing? Most of us are going to go to someone's house about four days from now, and we are going to eat food we don't really like and sit with people we don't really care for. We call it Thanksgiving. <laughs> if I really liked you, I'd be with you more often than once a year. If I really liked turkey, I would eat it more than once a year. But here we are. That was too honest. I take it back. I'll make it nicer next time. No, I mean, but for most people, it's like, oh, the holidays, and I'm looking forward to seeing Aunt Jane, but Uncle Ned is a real problem. And you do the whole thing, and you, this is your opportunity. If your family is like super lost in all darkness, this is your chance. This is why you're here. And instead of dreading going and having to, oh, got to interact with him and he's going to give me a conspiracy theory and Jesus is going to tell me about this thing and her garden didn't grow this year because there's too much rain and last year wasn't enough rain. And I just, oh, I can't do all the small talk. I hate everything about this. I don't want to go. And some of you feel that way already. This is why you exist. It's to go and be in their space, to go and be intimate in their place, to go and provide influence and grace and mercy and hope and love and joy and patience, okay? Patience to model for your kids what it looks like to love their elders well. Because some of us, I'm talking about my age uh, bracket, some of us kind of quietly resent having to go spend time with grandma or Aunt Jane or mom or dad because uh, they're just kind of, and I would say if you want your kids to honor you when you get older, you better, you better teach them what that means now. Live your influence now. Honor your father and mother now. Love people who are far from God now. This is your week. This starts the holiday season where over and over, week after week, there's going to be holiday parties and office parties and then extended family and the cousins are coming and then there's, and you're going to have one opportunity after another. People are willingly going to be coming into your lamp light 
and you have two choices. You can cover it up so you don't create any waves and I don't want to make anybody uncomfortable or you can strategically live it out so that all the people you run across over the month to come, they'll look at you and whether they follow Jesus at the end of the day or not, that's not on you. You're not the source. You're not responsible for them, but to them. You're responsible to present the light and they make their choice from the Holy Spirit does the work from there. That's not on you. But use the days to come to serve others and love others and live out the Christ life so that they might see the light that is in you. So that one more heart might shine in the deepest darkness. Because I've said the darkness is exceptional. You're one in eight billion. Your influence is small. But the little light you have shines through it. It blazes the trail. It illuminates truth. And if we believe in the scripture, then we would say the darkness shall not overcome it. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we long to be your light in this world. And we relax. We get complacent. We forget. I forget. Father, we would confess that at times we are uh, guilty of putting the lamp under a basket. We're guilty of shielding the light from others. Whether we're afraid of persecution or afraid of offending someone, or we just forget what our purpose on this earth is. Father, forgive us when we have uh, lived out less than what you've called us to. And then, God, I would pray that you would convict each heart here for the days to come, for the interactions with uh, the folks that may be far from you. God, would you give us the endurance and the strength that we might live out your way, that they might know who you are through the light that you've given us to shine. God, we lift this up to you. We ask you to give us strength and courage. Give us mercy and grace. Give us patience in the days to come that we might be your representatives, your reflection in the world. In Jesus' name, amen.